here and I saw this walker up here. I thought Dad could give me an early birthday present. I didn't know what was going on. Labor Day. Coming up. How many years do y'all remember watching Jerry's kids? You know, on that particular weekend. Uh, I, I never understood why they called that Labor Day holiday because that's when Dad decided we really needed to work that particular weekend. You know, I never saw a holiday on that one. But we're going to start a study tonight of church history. I mean, we're going to cover a span of about 2,800 years. Now, I am an Aggie, and I do know the church is only about 2,000 years old. But uh, it, it's kind of like in history, if, if you're studying about World War II, the war is kind of the finale of the thing. All the events that caused the war happened beforehand, and, and, and you have to kind of look at the beginning to see where it comes from. Uh, and and that, that's the way with the church. Uh, I got to thinking as, as I was beginning this study, I can remember I started working in the peach orchard I was 11, and the old boy that had it, he had uh, two massive Ferguson 435 tractors, power steering and all that, so that's that's what I learned to drive on, and uh, a friend of mine one time called us and said, y'all want to help me, my grandpa is, is planting and he needs somebody to drive a tractor and things, so I thought all tractors had power steering. We get out there to this place, and he had one of these old farm hog tractors with the offset seat and the tricycle wheels and, and all of that. And I can assure you, he did not have straight roads that particular year, you know. <laughs> it was just like that all the way down. So, so you kind of appreciate the new things when you understand where it came from. And if you go back a few years ago, back when... Some of y'all may have been around when they used to stick and did the planting, you know. So it, it, it uh, you know, things have changed a lot over time. And we don't really appreciate what we have unless we understand where the starting point was and, and, and what the purpose was. I, I think it was Stephen Ambrose, the historian and author, made a statement one time, you know, it, you can't help but appreciate history because... History keeps you from repeating the same mistakes. I, I, that's paraphrased, but that, that's what it is. And, and that's what we're dealing with with the church. We're going to be going back, and, and, and we're going to be in Micah, which was written about 800 B.C., about 2,800 years ago. Isaiah was about 700 B.C. Uh, Daniel, about 160 B.C. And, and they're just as relevant as anything we read Testament about the church. Now, we're going to be looking at where the church began. We're going to talk about the prophecies, uh, the foreshadowing of the church. Uh, that, that were all centuries, many centuries in some cases, before uh, the, the life, the death, the burial, and the resurrection uh, of Jesus. And then we're going to get into the period of the first century as, as the church began to spread. And uh, during that time, there was a painful ordeal taking place because just a couple of generations away from the establishment of the church we, we began to see some really bad things happen within the church where people were already corrupting it and taking it in directions that God never intended it to go and many of those things are still in place today and, and we're still seeing the same thing 2,000 years later 
we're going to spend a lot of time over the last 200 years of what's taking place in the church. Now, I can remember the first time I ever had somebody ask me, I was probably, I don't know, 11, 12 years old, somebody says, oh, y'all are Campbellites, aren't you? And uh, when you're 10 or 11, 12 years old, I thought, I don't even know anybody named Campbell. You know, I, I don't know what you're talking about. And, and, and that's when I, I began to look at things. But we're, we're going to study quite a bit of time, spend quite a bit of time toward the end, dealing with the rest restoration of the church. And, and, and I tell you what, I've had people ask me, when you start talking about the church, they say, so you're telling me that for 2,000 years there was nobody following the church that Jesus built. And I tell them, no, that's not what I'm saying. But the church had veered away from where Jesus intended the church to be. And we studied the last couple of weeks when we were in Genesis looking at that. I hope if you didn't get anything out of that, God had a plan. And it started at the very beginning. And he still has that plan going right there. And we don't know where we are in that plan. We don't know where we are in that plan. It, you know, it, it may all close out tonight. It, it may be when my great-great-great-grandchildren are born. I don't know. But I know one thing that what God intended was when we accept the responsibility of being the church of Jesus Christ, he expects us to keep his church alive with his principles and his truth to serve his purpose. And we want to look at, at the various old diversions that were created for the church along the way but we want to always keep in mind that it's not an imperfect church it's what? Imperfect people and imperfect people take the perfect and corrupt and, and that's what's going on the church is a perfect entity the church is a perfect uh, uh, institution it's the human side that gets to be a problem now in Galatians we read this I believe it was Sunday morning in Galatians chapter 3 verses 24 and 25 it says therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith but after faith has come we are no longer under a tutor at the establishment of the church, our tutoring days were over. It was real, and it was time for Christians to step up and be the ones that, that they were meant to be. Now, let, let me ask you a question to kind of start off. Why is it important to know when the church was founded? We know that it does exist. We, we know that it does exist. You know, it, it's, it's, it's about an identity in, in two or three different ways. Um, the church needs to be distinguished as, uh, uh, the, uh, as the 
of the coming of Christ, and it needs to be distinguished from the institutions and agencies that were presented to us in the Old Testament. There needs to be a delineation of when that changed. And, and, and there's a very st distinct change. Um, we're also going to need to, to look at it an identity to distinguish the church as Jesus established it from what man has established as being the church. I, I, I don't know if you hear it like I do, but I hear people talking, and, and I hear the word church used in a way that I never heard when I was growing up. But that word church applies to a lot of things that, that we were never taught, shown, demonstrated, read, studied, experienced what the church was. And, and, and man has taken this thing, and, and, and maybe it's from pride. It had what it has been. Maybe it's just a desire to self-regulate, and, and it probably is. And, and maybe it's, it, it's just a denial of, of God's authority, and, and it probably is, and an expression of, of willful disobedience. <laughs> but we're going to see from that first century, from the establishment of the church and, uh, and, and get to Pentecost, it, it was just a very short time before man began to toy with what was so perfect and change it into not God's image, but into their image. And, and we still see that today. And, and, it, and it's an identity that we need to have uh, about the laws that govern the church. Knowing when the church went into effect. How many have ever had the thief on the cross discussion with anybody? You ever run across that? It's irrelevant. It's, it's irrelevant because the church wasn't in, in existence. And, and I'm, I'm going to tell you something else. Okay? And don't get me wrong, but who am I to question God? And who am I to question Christ? He can do what he wants to. But but it, to me, it, to me, so it bottled up so easily, Sam. Yeah. When 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 Jesus was standing there and the friends of the paralytic let the man down through the roof, he said, "You know, take heart, your sins are forgiven." And and the, everybody standing around said, "Well, you can't say that. Only God can say that." Uh, Hi, me. <laughs> Anyway, the point the point was Jesus said, you know, what's easier for you know, what's easier, you know, to tell him that his sins are forgiven or to or to heal him or you know and but he said so that you know that the that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, I'll show you that I also have the power to heal. Okay? And if I can do that I can forgive his sins and if I can forgive his sins, you know, I've got all authority. And so when Jesus told somebody that they were forgiven, that's the way it was. And, and it comes down to the simple premise that it is under Christ's authority in all ways, in all shapes, forms, and fashion. I, I've got three passages that I want to look at before we really get into the study. Because I, I, I hope as we get into this, some of the scriptures that we've read so much in the past... And, and we understand what they're saying, but, but I hope it puts a new relevance to them, uh, <coughs> uh, a, a new impact.
us about what they're saying. And, and the first one is this, in 1 Peter 3, in verse 15, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. And in Jude, the third verse, it, it says, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. In 1 Timothy 3 and 15, I write so you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. You know, if, if we really want to be effective, if we really want to be effective in, in, in meeting the needs, I need to talk like this because I'm moving around and the mic doesn't follow me. Uh, I need me a garden. Uh, but but if we're truly going to be effective in doing that, if we're truly going to defend the faith, and we're going to defend the reason for our hope, and if we're truly going to be standing as the pillar and the ground of truth, we need to understand what that truth is and where that ground is set in order to move it forward. You've got to know where you are and know where you're and, and, and that's, that's what we're trying to do. And, and it all comes down that if we're going to be the ambassador to Christ, like Paul wrote about in 1 Corinthians 5, we better know our stuff. And we get that through a study. Now, I want us to go to Hebrew, to the Hebrew writer, Hebrews 9, and, and look at 10. The Hebrew writer wrote a lot about how the things that had transpired under the law were, were copies and shadows uh, of, of good things to come. And in, in Hebrews 9 and 11, it says, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come, with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation. And over in verse 23, it says, Therefore it was necessary that the copies of the things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. And in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect. Now, now this is where that whole tutorial thing comes in. When we did that study in Leviticus and, and we saw these various it's a riot. Uh, and we saw all of this, these uh, uh, sacrifices that were made and, and, and the rituals and rites and everything they went through. It, it, it was to prepare. It was to get them ready. And, and in fact, in God's own way throughout the Old Testament, while we were hearing without him ever saying, he says, you're not ready for Christ. You're not prepared. You're not ready for the church to come. And that whole thing was, was to get them there and, and, and bring the church into existence through the blood of Christ. Because the church is to do what? is to bind us together as the body to serve his purposes. And maybe we forget it. Now, 
foreshadowing is a little different than a prophecy. Right? A prophecy just comes out and says, um, Aggie's going to be at Northwestern State during Thursday night. Okay, that's a prophecy. Maybe a bad one, but it's a prophecy. Okay? What a foreshadowing is I'm driving down the road in an Aggie t shirt. I get out of the car and somebody has a northwestern state and I trip and fall on top of them, you know, I squish them. You know, that foreshadows what's going to happen, you know. But it's not a prophecy. And and the church is so often mentioned in, in, in the Old Testament as as uh, in, in, indirectly, I will say. There, there are direct prophecies we'll read, but it was shadowed. There was a tutorial in preparation. In Matthew 16, if you remember the account, the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to Jesus and they were saying, look, we need a sign from heaven. We need a sign from heaven. And in verse 16, chapter 16, verse 3, it says, Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. And in the 18th verse, he says, Hypocrites, you know how to discern the uh, repeats it, but in paraphrase of all this, what he says is that, look, all your life the signs have been there. It's all been presented to you. It's all been given to you, and you wouldn't pay attention. And you're not paying attention now. You have me here doing the healing. You had me here making the blind see. You had me here to make the, the, the lame walk. And they didn't accept it, what did they do? They claimed him to be a sorcerer. He was a practitioner of witchcraft. And he dared forgive people, and they said, You can't do that because that's God's business. Now, it's a good thing Jesus didn't have our pride. Because what would we have said? Yeah. You hit the nail on the head, right? I don't know if y'all remember Charlie days. I, I always remember Charlie. He'd say something, he'd make a point, he'd get that little staggering walk, you know, that he had. And, and that's kind of the way I see Jesus doing. If he was hit with that question with human pride, but he didn't. But he didn't. They had it all right there before him. They couldn't accept that, could they? Now, 1 Peter 1, in verse 10, it says, Of this salvation the prophets have imparted. Now listen. Listen to what he's saying. Of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the Lord of the glories that would follow. To them it was revealed that not to themselves but to us they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you uh, through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Things which angels desire to look into. Now, go back to the first. The prophets have inquired and searched 
carefully. What does that tell you about? They were excited about Jesus. They were excited about what was to come. But as you read through there, maybe a poor choice of words, but you can almost kind of feel they probably had a little touch of envy in them. Because they knew they weren't going to be there, Larry, when Jesus came. What did he say? To them it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us. Not to themselves. Now, I, I don't know, you know, the old thing in law is what did you know and when did you know it? I, I don't know what they knew and when they knew it and how much they really understood. It sounds to me like they had a pretty good idea there's something great coming. There's something great coming, and they wanted some of it. They wanted some of it. Wouldn't it be wonderful if people wanted it like they wanted it? They inquired, they searched for all that was embodied in Christ. They were searching for the time that was to come, this time that we're living in. The prophecies were the events and some circumstances that were going to do what? Bring Jesus in. signs were there. Regardless of what the Pharisees and the Sadducees were saying, the signs were there you just have to look at them. You have to look at them and you have to take time to discern what they were saying. Do we ever miss the signs? You know? Things, are, you know, that are pointing in a direction that things are about to go and, and we just kind of turn our head we won't look at it because, because if we ignore it it's going to go away has turning your head and ignoring it ever stopped anything from happening to keep going no. it, it's a bulldozer it's going to come anyway and when you're talking about the things of God little old me is not going to stop it and little old you is not going to stop it God put a lot of hard work want to think of it that way in bringing Christ into the world and in establishing the church. You can read all kinds of numbers, how many thousands of years from the creation and all that. I don't know. And I want to let you know where I don't care. It's past. We're where we are right now. And it's all been part of God's plan. And that's the important that's the important part. Look at Isaiah chapter 2. Now, those other things were just shadows of things to come. Those were just the illusions, kind of, you know, leaning out. This, this is what's going to happen, but I'm not going to tell you. All right, now we're with Isaiah chapter 2, beginning in verse 2. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. 
They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. You start to see something specifically mentioned here? Move over to Micah in chapter 4. We see some very similar words and terminology. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. Does that sound familiar? And he shall be exalted above the hills, and peoples shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. This is not an allusion to something, is it? This is not saying this is not, might happen. This says that Jesus is going to come. This says that Jesus is going to go to Jerusalem. And this says that in that time, that word will travel out from Jerusalem. How did it happen? Jesus went to Jerusalem. Jesus died in Jerusalem. He was buried. He was resurrected. And he ascended. And on Pentecost, what happened? The church came with the power of the Holy Spirit coming. See? It's not a foreshadow, folks. This, this is real. Jerusalem is the place. Now, the Hebrew writer, in chapter 1, verse 1, says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers of the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by a son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through him also he made the worlds. In Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 16, Luke writes this, he says, but this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, this is from Peter's sermon, <coughs> And it shall come to pass in the last days, God, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, what are the last days he's talking about? You hear that term now. It has a little different connotation than what they said. A lot of people are concerned in, in uh, you know, the last days, and we should. We should be prepared for you know, it's not a matter of knowing what did Jesus say. You're not going to know when it's going to happen. It's just going to happen. So what does he mean by the last days? Isaiah said it. Micah said it. Joel said it. Peter quoted it. What's the last days they're talking about? That's the time from the resurrection and ascension of Jesus and the establishment of church till that end comes. Now, to put it in our terms, God said, this is your last shot. He says, I'm through tutoring you. No more remediation. Tutorials are meeting no more. This is it. I've given you the best I've got. I've laid the plan in force, out in force. I've carried out my side. And he's saying, what are you going to do about it? Saying put up or shut up. He 
is your cut bait. You know, you've heard all the different phrases. It all says the same thing. Now's the time. These are the last days. And it's all started there in Jerusalem, just as prophesied. Look at Daniel. In Daniel chapter 2. Beginning in, in uh, verse 31. Now, the, this is Nebuchadnezzar's dream. And this is what's said You, O king, were watching, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose splendor was excellent, stood before you, and its form was awesome. This image's head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You watched while a stone was cut out with hand, without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found and the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now, our concept of kingdoms and empires is a little different today. During that particular time, or some 700 or so years before the coming of Christ, uh, a king was basically the, the ruler of the world, the known world. And, and, and they were just, you know, all these empires that came you here. Here you've got Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who, who was the head of gold. You know, you're, you're sitting here right now. This is about 536 B.C. You're sitting here right here. And he's telling you, you're going to be conquered. The empire is going to fall. And it did. And it did fall. And then the breast and the arms of silver, the Medo-Persian Empire... That lasted, you know, a great amount of time, like ten years. They came into existence and and, and were, were destroyed in about a period of ten years. The torso and the thighs of brass. This this is kind of a combination of the Greek and the Macedonian because uh, Alexander the Great actually followed up as the Greek followed up his father Philip the Macedon. Uh, which was from Macedonia. Uh, and he had come in, kind of laid the foundation for it. Alexander the Great comes in, and after Alexander died, what happened to his great empire? It was divided among his enemies. It just was broken up, and they passed off here, you have this piece, and you have this piece, and you have this piece. The legs of iron and feet of iron and clay is the Roman Empire. About 30 BC is when uh, Octavius came in as the first Caesar. And he established rule. And it was during this time that Jesus comes to be. And this is when Jesus enters into the world about 30 years after his beginning of his reign. And what happened there? The world was crushed, wasn't it? The world was crushed. The concept of the world ruler like that didn't exist anymore. Yeah, we, we've got world powers now. But do we have any, any, any existing government that had the power that these ancient empires had? 
for trying to. They've got some that are trying, but they're not there, and they're not ever going to be there. Not ever going to be there. There have been a lot of wannabes throughout history. You know, I mean, you, you can go back to, uh, can't even think what it is. The girls have been watching the Mama Mia movies. All I can think of is the song Waterloo. I can't think of it. Napoleon. I'll get it out in a minute. Napoleon. That's the kind of life I have, you know. But but Napoleon, you know, I, I mean, he had all this vision of grandeur. It never went there. And we've seen the, the, the great generals of the world seek to do that. Nothing has taken place since that first century like was in place prior to that first century. It has just not happened. And, and in Daniel 2, back in the 44th verse, it says, And in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Well, what's that kingdom? That's the church. That's the church. And it'll last forever. How long is forever? Until Jesus returns. And see, see what I'm looking for is that day, I don't have to hope anymore. I, I don't have to hope anymore. I, I don't have to think about what eternity is going to be like because what? You're living it. You're in it. And you said everything that you've been hoping for, it's been fulfilled and realized. And you don't hope anymore. It's gone. Well, that'd be great to get to that point. But while we're in this life, we may experience things, but we've been assured. We've been assured in many ways and in, in, in many places that we don't have to worry anymore. We do. We worry about the wrong thing sometimes, don't we? Because Jesus has set us up for success, not failure. And it's our choice to grab a hold and hang on and get there. Right, we're we're going to look at John next time. John, the baptizer. We're going to talk about that.